Have you ever thought back on your life and noticed that there are these small moments that led you to where you are today? I'm Alan Brooks from Building Momentum. In my new show, Breadcrumbs, I trace the pivotal moments of people's lives that lead them to where they are today. That I was asked to go backstage and I was able to meet Jesus. And I just very distinctly remember thinking, I want to do that. In the sunshine in this leather couch, I found my two big passions. I truly believe as an adult, I'm just trying to recreate that moment. It turns out that that was the beginning of a couple of decades in journalism. And that changed my life. Through storytelling and conversation, our show traces the circuitous trail of how the creatives and intellectuals of today got to where they are. On Breadcrumbs, we'll pick up these crumbs that were left behind and see how they led us to where we are today and leading us to who we're still becoming. Take a listen to Breadcrumbs, an exciting, independently run new podcast. What I always loved is every Sunday night, my father, he would bring out his big flip chart. He would draw, and he was an incredible artist. He could draw tanks and aircraft and everything else going on. So he would do that. He would get his statements right. But he would take us kids. He'd kind of put us on a semicircle in the floor. And we were his audience. We were the generals, the the congressmen, right? And he even said, hey, you can ask questions. And we did. And we got better as we got older. We probably got meaner as we got older, (laughs) you know, but we really, we kind of, we test him. And what I loved about it too is my mom was incredibly intelligent and she knew this stuff as well as he did. And she almost put him through like a murder board you know, in this process. And we as kids, we're like, yeah, because dad was doing great. Mom was doing great. We were doing great. And we're watching this presentation, these flips into the next one. And if we threw him a curve, he'd have another drawing to make, right? It is what made me fall in love with sales and marketing. Welcome to Breadcrumbs. I'm Alan Brooks. I'm the chief creative officer at Building Momentum. We're a creative problem solving agency. And we believe that everybody has a calling, a vibration, something undeniable within us all. And sometimes we're put on that path in the earliest possible way, and sometimes life throws curveballs, but the calling never quits. This show retraces those breadcrumbs, these pivotal moments that we have in our lives, the ones that lead us back to ourselves and who we were meant to be. They help us find our true calling. I'm going to be talking to a wide variety of people from all sorts of industries, all sorts of backgrounds, and find out how they responded to their true north and find out the parallel lives they might have been going on if they had ignored their calling. I want to unpack this through storytelling and conversation. I hope that everyone listening can start thinking about your true north and if you're headed in that direction. So let's start following some breadcrumbs back to see where it all began and who we're still becoming. My guest today is Kevin D. Turner. Kevin is a brand strategist who has had one of the most insane paths of all the guests we've had. He was the director of international development for the American Heart Association. Before that, he was the vice president of sales marketing at HarperCollins. And it all started when he sent a letter to Sony Japan asking to intern with them over a summer. Today, he and his wife have their own brand strategy firm. So Kevin is a second-generation Breadcrumbs guest, introduced to him from Sonal, who's episode five. Also a great story. His calling helped him find himself, or rather his calling caused him to find himself in a whole bunch of different worlds and different spaces, and it gave him this flexibility to always make his own opportunity. 
He's somebody who's really built his life and his career kind of one brick at a time, like a rock climber, like looking for the next thing to reach to. And in the conversation, we hear how that energy stems all the way back to his childhood and how he's been making something out of nothing forever. Kevin is so charming and so personable, and he was delightful to talk to for the hour. So let's go follow Kevin's breadcrumbs. You know, I grew up a little unusual. As young as I can remember, weekends were incredible. We started the mornings usually and with very, very loud music. My father had a stereo with these German speakers that were bigger than us as kids. And they were at full volume. So as a small kid, the first thing you know in the morning is the house is rumbling. And it's exciting. And you want to jump up. And you come down the stairs. And there is my mom and dad. They were always dancing and enjoying the music. And then they would bring us in to it, right? And we're getting excited. And you're realizing at this point that there's these just incredible aromas and it is an English breakfast. My father is English. My mother is Irish, which proves it can work <laughs> even back then. Right. And, and it was always the smell of uh, scrambled eggs with cheese, mushrooms, some kind of sausage. Once in a while it was spam because that was big. When my father was growing up in World War II, that was a treat better than horse. That was my mornings. And I loved those mornings. From there, you know, my parents were very interesting in the, in the sense that were, they were both very intelligent individuals. They came to the United States through Ellis Island. They immigrated in. They started working for Look Life Esquire as reporters and illustrators. Ultimately, my father, when, when I was younger, I knew his job. He was a VP of sales and marketing. This was back in the time where you did both, right? Now, so dynamic, they diverge them and you have somebody marketing and sales. He did sales and marketing. And it was his passion. And it was my mom's passion as well. And they were both really good at this. But his pieces, he was into military aircraft. He worked for Fairchild Industries. And he was always going to Washington, D.C. We lived in Bethesda, Maryland. He was always going in and he was always presenting to Congress, to the House, to get appropriations, to get, you know, basically funding. What I always loved is every Sunday night, he would bring out his big flip chart. And this was before PowerPoint and all that stuff, right? It was a flip chart. He would draw. And he was an incredible artist. He could draw tanks and aircraft and everything else going on. He would do that. He would get his statements right. But he would take us kids, and I had two sisters and a brother. He'd kind of put us on a semicircle in the floor, and we were his audience. We were the generals, the, the congressmen, right? And he even said, hey, you can ask questions. And we did. And we got better as we got older. We probably got meaner as we got older, <laughs> you know? But we really, we kind of, we test him. And what I loved about it, too, is... My mom was incredibly intelligent and she knew this stuff as well as he did. And she almost put him through like a murder board, you know, in this process. And we as kids, we're like, yeah, because dad was doing great. Mom was doing great. We were doing great. And we we're watching this presentation, these flips into the next one. And if we threw him a curve, he'd have another drawing to make. Right. And it was just incredible. And, and it is what made me fall in love 
with sales and marketing. You know, I appreciate both. I, I get both. I love both in that sense. I'm very proud to do both. But that was kind of where that seed came into play. I know it made me a big part of who I am. That's awesome. So I have kids. I have an 11 and 8-year-old. And like that is the kind of Sunday morning I wish I did for my own kids. That sounds like a, a magical still childhood. Time. <laughs> really, no, listen, no, that's it really not, is. We, we have <laughs> we we do a lot of uh, that. That's being unfair to my wife and my kids, but it it just sounds like it's such a delightful tradition that you guys have had developed. Did you um? Do you have your own? Do you have kids too now? They're grown. Yeah, and uh, you know, one one is off doing his uh, his own thing for the last probably six years and doing great, not asking for money. That stops them asking for money at some point. <laughs> Well, that's good, right? (laughs) So it's supposed to. (laughs) If you still enough pride in them, it should start early. There are lots of schemes around the Brooks household of trying to find money. What did you take away from those mornings? You know, we were asking you to look, kind of look back at them and notice them as this kind of like seminal moment. But as you were growing your kids and as you were developing your familial traditions. Did you draw on those traditions? Did you develop your own traditions? Did you- uh, it was a little less noisy. <laughs> I don't know what it was, but my kids rebelled on the fact of waking up to music. And my wife wasn't so big on it either. <laughs> <laughs> so it worked for me and my family when we were young because that, we didn't know any better, right? That was right. it. That was how every, we thought everybody else woke up that way. And I would tell people and they'd be like, no. <laughs> no, I can, I can imagine. Sheets off kicked me out of bed. <laughs> I can see myself turning on a, a record at, at 7.30 on a Sunday morning and I would be uh, frog marched out of the house. So so I want to know a little bit more about, I want to know everything, truthfully. I also want to know, you got some of your first jobs by writing a bunch of letters. Um, you know, it was, it was while I was still in high school, I wanted to do something different. I didn't want to have a, a summer of mowing yards. And I started writing letters to tech companies all over the world. Where were you in the world at that age? At at that age, I was in New Jersey, living in New Jersey. And I wrote to several companies in a concentration because I love technology. That's one of my passions. I focused on a lot of these Japanese companies at the time Mm -hmm. that were just bringing in incredible changes, right, to everything we were doing. What, what era was this? Them. Can you give me some, like, time? Like, what? Well, this would have been late 70s. Okay. So right? that, like, Japanese tech was, like, this. Huge. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I actually, you know, through the letters, I got a couple of responses back. Cool. And one of them was actually from the chairman of Sony and basically said, we are working on a couple of projects that we want to know what American kids would think about these, you know, and there became the offer. Would you be interested, right? And coming to Japan for the summer and working on these projects and wait, wait, I want to know about the fact that Sony based on a letter from a kid in New Jersey was like, Hey, we've got an idea why don't you fly across the world and hang out in Japan with us for the summer? I want to know what Sony was thinking. I want to know what your parents were thinking, saying yes. <laughs> they that's, encouraged me. They said, that's, that wild. sounds smart. But again, where did they come from? They left right. everything and 
came through Ellis Island. I mean, to them, that's adventure. Go with you God. Yeah. From adventure. Right. And they encouraged that and said, write the letters. And, you know, part of the letters were basically positioning what value do I have as a teenage boy from yeah. America, which most people say has no value. And it was the fact that I was connected with other kids my age. And what did they want in life? What drove them? What what was the magic that would make them, you know, part with that lawnmower money? Yeah. Right. And so these tech companies wanted that. And I I knew that they were looking at it. I knew that you can't grab an American kid that lives in Japan and get the same answer. Right. Okay. So you go to Japan. For the summer, what do you work on? What do, what do they have you do? I had two projects. One was what they called Walkabout, which became the Walkman. Sure. And the other one was Camcorder. Oh, but wow. Camcorder back then meant you had a backpack and then a camera like this and a bunch of wires. But that was called Camcorder and it was portable. But what I found just fascinating to me was that Sony looked at this and said, you know, we, we got to get this out. We got to see is there a market for it? So what we're going to do is we're going to take this group of interns that we have, we're going to give them some money and say, you know, go to the Ginza, pick out music that you like, put your walkabout headphones on, right? And we had an extra set of headphones that came with it. And there was a microphone where you had a press down button where you could actually talk through the headphones as well. Mm -hmm. And they said, walk around the parks and introduce people to it. Yeah. And so we did. And so you became you know, brand it, ambassadors too. And yeah, yeah. And it yeah. was it was fascinating because people were blown away because they would see you walking around and enjoying the music. They were like, they wanted for you to come offer it to them, right? That was the first time I ever thought about this kind of experiential marketing. Did you get out there, get in front of them, get them excited, get them to say, give me that. Wait a second. Did you speak Japanese? I don't think so, but <laughs> It's happened once or twice. So, so you just, okay, that's, that's incredible. So you were just there. You're a tall white kid in the late seventies, wandering, (laughs) wandering around a park, you know, in Japan somewhere and just inviting people to, to play with your headphones. Yeah, pretty much. That's extraordinary. There, there's something about that culture. Yeah, you know, that they, they see things like that and they see technology and they want to know about it. They're shy, but if you talk to them, you know, and then- Do you feel like, like, do you feel like there was something I experienced? Because obviously, you know, starting at such a young age, you've had a career basically in, in uh, tangentially in the same work, right? In brands and marketing and sales and- in this work, do you feel like that was embedded at that point that like you started to learn these lessons as a professional that young? Cause that was a, that's a pretty professional gig for a 16, 17 year old to have. We had no idea it was right. Oh, interesting. That, that was the beauty of it. I mean, you really didn't as a teenager, an intern and they say, here's some money and go show, you know, the walk about the people and come yeah. back and give us a report. You're not thinking that's work. <laughs> right. You know? It's a, it's a day off in the park and I get to buy my own music, right? Yeah, we're having a second. We're going to have a second episode just about that part. It's okay. So, and then you ended up working at Sony for a long time, right? About 12 years. Wow. You know, and, and, you know, it was interesting because that was an internship and that was Sony Japan. 
And, you know, then there's Sony America and they're Mm -hmm. really somewhat disconnected. And and in some ways, Sony America wanted to do it Sony America way. Sure. Japan wanted them and owned them and told them to do it their way. But, you know, there was always that kind of clash. First started to interview there. They were like, hmm, somebody, you know, corporate spy, (laughs) you know, they've groomed him and and he's coming in. And so there was a lot, a lot I had to get over. I ended up interviewing in Irving, Texas and came on with Sony there. And the concept I came in there and, and they really bought into was kind of this experiential marketing of product. Mm-hmm. That you learned. At the time, eight millimeter, yeah. right? And, you know, I came in with basically plans to say, you know, let's get out there with 30 camcorders. We'll loan them out. We'll take a driver's license until they come back. And, you know, we'll give them the tape. And if they don't have eight millimeter yet, we'll give them a retailer that they can go to and they'll transfer it. And we kind of created this program. But I came in to my interview with this to put on the table. So the job I came in for had nothing to do with marketing. It turned out it was a retail sales associate. Mm -hmm. And then they were in a hiring freeze, but this one VP had come up with this new plan and he had a little extra slush cash and he was going to create this position and it was taking brochures to big mm-hmm. box stores and making sure those big box stores knew what to do, how to sell the product, right? Mm-hmm. How to show it. And so I said, you know, to me, that was immediately, I'll take it. It's a foot in. And they already knew about this other piece, right? Yeah. And that kind of took me from that position within six months into their marketing specialist. And throughout Sonia, every few years, I would figure I kind of mastered something. I did as much as I could, train other people to do this stuff. I would create classes and programs. I would even present in front of the the Sony conventions on things. And then I would like, but now I need something else. Yeah. It sounds like you just always wanted to try and learn and challenge yourself. It's a wonderful thing, but it's also somewhat of a double-edged sword, right? They cut Mm -hmm. both ways. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, if you're you're a knight in battle, that's great. You need a double-edged sword. If you're just an individual, maybe you don't. I just finished reading Radical Candor. You know, she talks about those personalities in an organization. You've got those rock stars and those superstars where they're both really vital. And the rock star is the person who is your bedrock. And they do that great job at the thing that they love to do. And they stay at it. And then the superstars that need to be challenged and need to accelerate and grow. And if you put people in the wrong place. They fail. Yeah, exactly. You set people up for, for failure. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And I, I knew mean, that early on. You had that much presence of mind in, in your youth to know that about yourself? Yeah. I, I think I did. It, it, just because I knew I was always kind of working on that next big thing, right? That mm-hmm. next step that was outside of the scope of my job, but everybody wanted me to do it too. They were yeah. like, oh, that's great. You know, that's, that's going to do something. And so, you know, I would do it extra hours and you know, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff to kind of create these things. And it would move me into another area. I ended up within Sony Corporation up as a national sales manager in Sony. Mm-hmm. They took a division that I was within and they said, you know what, we're going to change the way we do. We're going to go all distributor. We don't need any more sales managers, right? Sales director. We're going to let you guys go. And I thought, well, I'm not done yet. And I knew that Sony had a new technology that they were coming out, that they were working with a second company within the United States. And that was code division, multiple access cell phones. That was Qualcomm and Sony. 
and they had this marriage to bring the phone in because Sony had the technology. Qualcomm uh-huh. had the facilities in the phone. And so they made these two phones that looked exactly like Sony and Qualcomm. And I said, you know what? I'm going over there. I'm going to do this. I'm, you know, this, what I'm doing now is going away. So I'm going to move over to this group, even though it's kind of a joint venture, somewhat of a startup. And I went in there and actually Qualcomm grabbed me. Qualcomm oh, said, cool. you're on board. They gave me about 10,000 shares, which at that time was worth about 600 bucks. It's more, share, it's more <laughs> shares than I have. So, in Qualcomm, oh, it, it, so. so how did you, okay, so you're doing all this stuff. Also, God, I want to talk about everything about your time at Sony, but we'll do that another time too, because I want to hear about like, we're skipping around a little bit, but you know, you did venture capital work. You've done, you know, you've been the CEO and you've done all this stuff. But how did you meet your wife? How did you have this time and this that's another kind of crazy story. It was in college. My brother, who lived in LA, came to Austin, Texas, where I was going to UT. And my cousin, who lived in Toronto, came down. My cousin, about 6'4", 300 pounds, looks like um, I was, the dude, uh, right? Looks like oh, the yeah. dude. And then my brother out of LA looks like Jim Morrison. He didn't have a single shirt that had buttons. so i have these two guys they come to texas and they're like we want to know about texas and i had an old 65 gto convertible and i would put that top down this thing rumbled it was a wonderful car loved it these guys i would take them out to places to hear music drive them all over texas you know we went to places like we saw sublime in san antonio we saw red hot chili peppers in austin you know we were driving them all over. And after, you know, these guys, they'd have a little too much, right? So I was fireman carry, right? Throw them in the back of the GTO. <laughs> Sometimes I just leave them out there that night and we'd start again the next day. And two weeks of touring like this. And I said, what do you guys think of Texas? And then they said, we're in Texas. And <laughs> <laughs> no recollection. And so I loaded them both on an airplane. I said, you know what? I'm right near the beach in Galveston. I'm going to go down and just be quiet near the beach, you know, and there's an old 1920s hotel there that like you put in a movie, right? Yeah. And I went in there and they had, believe it or not, a, a new wave club and it was going on. And, and that's where I met my wife. Locked eyes and it's been that way ever since. What year was this? That would have been 81, maybe. Oh my God. 82? No, probably 82 or 83. But yeah, that's incredible like that. And, you know, and complete chance that you happened to be in Galveston when she was at the club and yeah. And it, had I not been, you know, basically keeping these guys out of bar fights for two weeks, I never would have gone down there. Never would that's have been incredible. there. And it all just, everything lined up. She'll probably kill me for telling this. She gave me a, a number, right? And, uh, when I called the phone number the next day, it was deactivated. I thought, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> done could have been i thought done and i said you know what i remember that she said that she lived on a street called taylor crest in houston now taylor crest is one of these streets that, that goes like 10 miles oh, but yeah. it goes and that stops and it moves over and it goes and it stops and it moves over right i remembered what her car looked like and i drove taylor crest till i found it in the driveway knocked on the door and she said you know what I left, I just left my dorm. My dad turned off my phone. I thought I'd never see you again. 
And so I couldn't Holy let that shit, go. Man. That is incredible. Like, no, I'm not letting that go. That's too good. That's a, <laughs> that's a movie, man. That's, that is like, you're basically like, this is a Cameron Crowe movie waiting to happen. I don't know Cameron, but if he's listening, I want life rights though. So I can write the, the, we, we actually had a screenwriter on earlier. I'll call Adrian Todd back and he'll, he'll write it for us. That's incredible. But that's life, right? You can let things go or you can go and get them, right? And so often things get so difficult or I don't have enough time or I don't think that's going to happen. Find it. It sounds like you're doing that in all parts of your life. My, my wife's life was very different. She basically grew up and lived in Houston. Her parents got divorced when she was in college and that was rough. Her very different in that sense, but also very dynamic. So Dana's father is kind of a bigger than life Texas kind of character. If you just imagine the classic Texas business guy, that's him. Handshakes, no paperwork, big hat. Yeah, that kind of stuff. So very different. Her mom, very sharp, smart lady, always quaffed. And the two families got along extremely well. So my parents and their parents and, you know, all of that, there was a good connectivity there. How we raise children, very similar, you know? Um, and we've always been of the mind, uh, let's figure it out, right? We don't really know. Let's figure it out. How do we do this? We've always, in that process, support each other as we made those decisions. And what else can you do? I think, you know, we were able to kind of work our way through it. Now, much like my parents who came to... America, right? They had no family around them. We had to do things on our own as well. And so, you know, I was very comfortable with that because that's what my parents did. I didn't really know there was a difference. You know, we learned how to do it. We, we learned how to do it. We, we helped, I think, two incredible kids, you know, to move forward and gave them a lot of the same kind of energy and abilities that we have. And, you know, we'll see what happens. You know, you never know. You can only plant the seeds. I always tried the same thing with getting my kids to understand, what do I do every day? What is it like? Mm -hmm. And so we would have those discussions and, you know, they found them interesting. And and because of that, my daughter, you know, has this marketing side of it. And because of my son has the sales side. Yeah. So, you know, they, they did take and respond to it. Just That's wasn't quite as dynamic. I wish I could have pulled that off. I don't know well, how. But it, I it obviously, it obviously <laughs> worked for you. It, but I, I would do that. I would bring products home, right? And show them what I was selling and tell them how I was selling that, whether it was a marketing sale or a sale sale, right, at the time. And so I would get them involved. And because I was always fascinated with this, I used to bring home the latest stuff, right? So I brought one of the first PlayStations home and had some of the games you couldn't get anywhere else, right? We set that up. We played with it. My, my son was like, oh, this is cool. This is what you mean by sales, right? You get to play games all the time. It's like, no, you sell the games so people can play the games, right? But he got it. And so, you know, those little things make a difference. And there's seven years between our kids. So the, you know, our son is seven years older than our daughter. And so, you know, there was a time frame. Where it's like, it's almost like you're managing two families in a way. My daughter, she saw something different in what we went through, she watched a lot of the stuff that I was doing at American Heart Association and the, the travel I was doing and the people that I was meeting. And I would always invite them to my home in Dallas. So she would meet people from all over the world. 
She was fascinated about that. She was fascinated by her grandparents immigrating in and she, you know, loved those stories too. And, and her grandparents down in Houston. And, you know, so for her travel and different languages and different cultures um, is her driver. And so she took something different out of the experience. And some of it was because I was at a different experience level in my career at that time. And then she watched us go from, you know, this kind of what we call nonprofit 50 kind of work into we're running our own show. And there's lean times when you're doing that. There's great times when you're doing that, but you're always busy. But she got to see us working as a team together to get all this stuff done. And that I know has, has an impact on how, how she sees things, you know, that you build, uh, that you're not just given things, that you can create things that, you know, whereas my son saw more of my corporate life, right? Where you, you got the paycheck, but you did all these things. Whereas, you know, my daughter saw this entrepreneurial side a little more and the, and the nonprofit side a little more. Um, so they both kind of experienced different things. And I think that's why they've kind of taken their own directions. It's an interesting thing to see that tradition now become, you know, tri-generational that it's something that was passed through you to your kids. Did your kids get a chance to know their grandparents? Absolutely. My yeah. father is still alive. He oh, that's awesome. 94. My mom just passed a couple of years back. I'm sorry. Uh, thank you. She was incredible. And, and the, one of the most beautiful things I remember in the last couple of days, she said, when is Thanksgiving? And we said, mom, it's in two days. And she said, well, I'll be done after I smell the turkey. Oh, <laughs> and we weren't even planning on having turkey, right? We're like, we're, we're, things oh. are crazy. We're not doing, we had turkey. And so we had a full meal and my mom passed right after the meal. Oh my God. That's so it was, uh, you know, it was, but you, you think about it, it. It's, it's making choices in life, right. To decide, does it take you or do you take it? Yeah. And she always took it, you know, in the right direction and, and, uh, not in a greedy way, you know, just a real, positive way and so yeah. you know, she knew what she needed even uh, even at the end I, I miss her dearly but i also know she's in a better place right now yeah what's happening now with everything i mean you haven't been with i'm i'm again stalking you all over the internet here but you know it, it seems like after sony there was a lot of trying some things on doing a couple of different things here and there we don't so have i got, an I got into those turnarounds right yeah doing corporate turnarounds well, for those of us who don't know what a corporate turnaround is, tell us what a corporate turnaround is. Well, and, and they have a time frame. And when you're doing it in venture capital, you know your job is to get in there to make investments, to change companies, even to build companies, but then they're going to get sold. Mm. You're going to move on. And the same thing with corporate turnaround. So, you know, those move very quickly, but they're really exciting to do. But what you get to realize is they wear you out. Yeah. Because it's intense, full on, and then it's off. And I didn't like the off part so much. Mm, uh, you know, I always found the on again, but I didn't like that part. And so I went through that process of, of venture capital and this kind of turnaround process and went into nonprofit. So actually cool. joined American Heart Association because they had a division, the emergency cardiovascular care that had basically kind of created itself by accident. Oh, interesting globally, right? And they'd lost all rights to their science 
and their logo and everything else. You know, doctors would come over here. They would take their coursework from AHA. They would take books back. And all of a sudden, you know, three months later, you would see the Indian Heart Association's guide to, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> it was all taken, localized. And so my job was to come in and take that division and move it from accidental to purpose. Intentional, yeah. Yeah, loved it. Built the offices in uh, Hong Kong, in United Arab Emirates, in Belgium, in uh, Puerto Rico, and actually hired the staff. And back then, I hired most of these people through Skype. This was before Zoom, right? Skype. Yeah. People tell you now, oh, I, I'm just not comfortable with that. Get comfortable. That's the new world, right? I hired these. Some of these people were working for me as territory directors for six months before I ever actually met them. In the before, before times, with yeah. Them, say. Uh, you know, so, but again, that was how we had to do it. And we took them, you know, from this kind of accidental to very purposeful. And we even created uh, print facilities in other countries so we wouldn't create a taxation issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, for nonprofit back here, doesn't like to pay taxes, right? So complicated, but but exciting. But what I found is that I was traveling 80% of my month, mm. home one weekend a month, got a family, right? Loved what I was doing all over the world. I actually ended up, I figured out, I put my foot into 140 countries. Holy God. Yeah, that's too many. some some are blurs but incredible people you know yeah Uh, what was interesting is often where i was going they needed medical science so you didn't spend a lot of time in paris right you spent time in kenya sure sure sure. not quite as (laughs) right still incredible and just wonderful people that's awesome but it was too much it it, it was on the wrong side of the clock yeah. Seems like you then took that motivation in the exact opposite direction and just decided to start a company with Crazy your life. enough, the seed came from, even while I was doing all that stuff that was keeping busy, I was doing a side gig. I started, actually, and this was quite some time, around 2005, I would go out and I would go to places and give lectures on LinkedIn. How do you, how do you use LinkedIn, right? How do you move it forward? How do you get employed? I would basically, you know, teach, you know, groups of like 600 people, you know, how do you use this tool to get you employed? And all about kind of personal branding, not personal blanding, right? And getting them to understand the differences and and how do you make this work? And how is this now part of the new digital world? And I would do those things that, you know, maybe it might've been at a church or it might've been at the, the Texas unemployment office, whatever it was. And then I would get these phone calls and they'd say, Kevin, what did you mean by Blah, 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 blah. And I'd be like, I'm not sure. Let's talk about this. And they're like, yeah. can't I just pay you? <laughs> and I'd be like, you know what? You can. Let's talk about that. And, and so it became kind of like this little side gig that was going along. My wife is a writer and has been a writer and was also on school boards uh-huh. and, you know, working that side of writing as well. And, you know, we got to this point where you said, you know what? Let's do something together because we enjoy each other's company and we complement each other very well. You know, we are almost extreme opposites in many ways, but we have the same passions, right? And that just works really well because we help each other do everything we need to get done. And so, you know, I love that. And that's what we decided to do at that point is we're going to do this. We're going to do this business. 
And, you know, we're going to help people with that personal and organizational branding. And we love it. And you're still doing it. Yeah. She'll do certain things. I'll be her backup writer. I'll do certain things. She'll be my backup writer. I have to have my own room because I'm noisy. You huh. probably didn't know that, but <laughs> that's, you know, I think it, it might have. We just never really thought about it, you know, in, in that sense. But we would often, you know, we would do things together, right? Plan things together, events and, you know, parties. And so we were always making these kind of, you know, connections on, okay, you do that because you're better at that. You do that because you're better at that. And then we'll get everybody together. And we always kind of knew, you know, where we complemented each other, you know, in that sense. And so that always worked. And, you know, there are things that she does a thousand times better than I do. And I hope there are things that I do that, that amount, but I don't know, maybe. But we're very different in our approach. And she is, I would say, more grammatical, more precise, better writer. I'm a marketer, right? I make up words. <laughs> you know? So to me, that's different. I love that. I like the energy to it. I can't do that other part. I mean, I probably could, but I can't, right? I wouldn't be happy doing that. She's happy doing that. She wouldn't want to do what I do. And so by having that kind of, I guess, yin and yang, right, of how we approach these things, the nice part about it is we're able to help each other if we've gone too far, right? So we often are our own backup writers. So let me let me help you with that. You know, can you help me with this? And you know, we'll get it to maybe a better place so the whole world can understand it. <laughs> you know, but that works really well. And so we just we're very respectful on this is what you do, this is what I do, this is what we do together, this is how we can help each other. And you know, that's I think kind of how it works. It's the dream, man. You've gotten a lifetime of really interesting, fascinating work. So I, I want to wrap up with our two big lightning round questions. Thinking back at the Kevin running around Galveston, the, the Kevin going to see Chili Peppers and Ramones shows, what does that Kevin think about where you ended up? You know, he's been with me all the way. <laughs> oh, that's great. Last night we were at the Rolling Stones, my wife. And, I. <laughs> and it was raining, right? Oh, man. But we're at the Rolling Stones. Uh, it was a gorgeous day the day before, 78 degrees. Boom, 40 degrees and raining. You know, Mick Jagger got out there and he's what, 79? And he's still strutted and he Listen. got wet. You know, <laughs> of course, he had a whole group of people drying his hair every time he went behind stage. I didn't have that. We got out there. So that, well, that we all know that Keith is mortal. So. Yeah. Well, I think so. I think so. There's some AI there. <laughs> ah. uh, what's it? The the line from Wayne's World is can't be killed by conventional weapons. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I actually thought he would short circuit out there in the rain. That's so funny. <laughs> well, so that's great. That's my favorite answer to that question. And then what's the parallel universe version of you doing right now? You hadn't walked into that bar or that new wave club, or if you hadn't gotten that job, that internship at Sony, dude, it's that sliding doors, alternate universe, parallel dimension version of you. What, what would you be doing? You know, I, I'm not exactly sure, but I know that there was a moment I almost took a completely different path about five years ago. And, and that was, I almost took a position running a sea turtle rescue in the Keys. 
and, you know, basically getting rid of everything and, and living in the shack and doing that. And there was a lot of beauty to that. And I met with everybody and, and I almost did that. And I can see me doing that. And had I discovered that at 21, you know, that might yeah. be what I was doing. Listen, Kevin, I can't, I can't thank you enough for this hour. This was, was incredible. I want to have a whole other episode where we just talk about more of your insane stories. I also, next time you're in DC or I'm in Texas, we're going to a show together, brother. All right. I want to, I was born. What? Washington DC hospital. I was born in Alexandria. Well, I first couple of years lived in Alexandria and the red buildings, the, the Alexandria towers, I think they're called. Yeah. Yeah, from you know, my parents had the penthouse up there at one point. No shit. And then we moved into Bethesda, Maryland. We were we were buddies that just met. We we just met now, obviously. <laughs> there you go. Um. All right. Well, thank you so much. Truthfully, I can I cannot appreciate your time more, and and I I can't wait to talk to you some more next time. Alan, thank you, and I enjoyed it. Take care. If you were inspired by what we talked about today, you might be inspired by what our company, Building Momentum, does. We solve for impact. We're a creative problem-solving agency that helps people gain the confidence and permission to solve problems on their own using a whole variety of tools to do so. 3D printing, laser cutting, welding, empathy, facilitation, drones, uh, electronics, robotics, dance, podcasts. If you have a problem, like we all do, we would love to be a part of solving it with you. Find us on the web at www.buildmo.com. That's www.buildmo.com.